We're doing our Old Testament series, and I've done a mini-series on the New Covenant, which was supposed originally to be just one sermon, and then it stretched into two, and now it's three. But I promise we will finish the New Covenant this time. And my title is a kind of unusual title for a sermon. Elijah is suicidal, God's response, and the New Covenant. And my goal is that each one of us would hear the gentle voice of Jesus and not our self-blame, criticism, and self-condemnation, which constantly tell us our weaknesses. And uh, just to give you like a taster of what we're going to be talking about, in 1 Kings 17 verse 4, we read, Elijah came and sat down under a juniper tree And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. In other words, I'm a failure. I've achieved nothing, and it's all too much for me. And he'd gone out into the wilderness just to finish it all. So how is God going to answer this? What will God's answer be? What is God going to say? Is he going to say, your suicidal thoughts are sin and you'll be punished? Is he going to say, you stupid man, shut up and get on with your task? Or maybe, don't focus on yourself, but on others. Maybe he'll say, I accept your resignation, Elijah. You know, I did, uh, I looked at sermons on the internet to see what people were doing with this passage. And um, I was actually disgusted at some of the sermons I saw. Some of them basically said this. Just try to think positive thoughts, Elijah. Think positive. Yes, you're a pathetic failure, but I love you anyway. Did he? What did he say? What did God actually say to these things? What God actually said was, and this is a preview, I know your pain and I'm going to gently meet you just where you need to be met. I'm going to show your value to me by giving you one of the biggest prophetic revelations any human has yet received. Wow. Wow. I get emotional just like seeing the way God responded to this. This is incredible. This is how much I value you. So um, my outline today uh, is we're going to look at a quick recap of Old and New Covenants from the last couple of weeks. Then I'm going to look at the passage, look at the scriptures, the prophet who wanted to end his life, and then look at God's extraordinary response to this in the New Covenant, and then by end up by saying, how do we hear this ourselves? How do we actually um, enjoy this ourselves? So, quick recap of the Old Covenant, of the Covenants. And a covenant, as I've said before, my definition is a forever relationship with serious commitments. In our culture, the only two things that are in any way similar would be marriage and adoption. But even those have got provisions for them being ended, whereas a covenant is doesn't have that. A covenant is permanent. And God, there are there are three covenants that we have. Well, actually, more than three, but three main ones in the Bible. There, there is the one that was made 
with um, Moses and the Israelites on Mount Sinai where they gave the Ten Commandments and all the law. And the New Testament calls that the Old Covenant. And that's the covenant of works. You do these things, you keep all these commands and you'll be blessed. You don't do them and you'll be punished. So it's performance. It's a performance covenant. And that's called the Old. There is a covenant which we looked at uh, two messages ago that God made with Abraham which is extraordinary covenant, and we had a little reenactment, if you remember, with, with Mark and Asher, and it was about the animals being torn up, and then we have, um, uh, I should say, Abraham actually cut them up, didn't tear them up, Asher tore them up. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we have, so we have these, um, two, uh, we have the, this enactment with the animals, and we saw that actually it was God walked between the pieces of these um, animals as a, a solemn reenactment of a promise that God's saying, if I fail to break this covenant with you, um, Abraham, may I become like these animals. And um, it's a very solemn way they used to, they used to kind of seal the, the covenants in those days. And, but what's extraordinary is that only God went between the pieces. Usually both parties go between the pieces when they make an agreement, but the fact only God did it shows that Abraham didn't have to perform. He just had to receive what God had done. All he did was to trust, and he'd already done that. He trusted God, he believed, and that was counted to him for righteousness. And so, these covenants, the one with Abraham I just spoke about, is about grace. Uh, we have the old covenant, and then we have the new covenant. So the Abraham one is a picture of what God is going to do through Jesus. And I'm going to very, very, very quickly give you um, a summary of what we did last time in the new covenant. If you're a Christian, you are part of the new covenant. And this is summarized in Hebrews 8 and in Jeremiah Four parts, I will put my laws in their minds and I will inscribe them on our hearts. So you're given a new heart that wants to follow Jesus, that has a new, you're a new creation. There's something new about you that will naturally want to follow the law. You don't need it imposed. I told the story about a few years ago when uh, there's a, a window, there's a glass panel in our deck. Um, and I saw a movement under it. And I looked, very strange, I looked and it was a butterfly, a huge butterfly, like about this big. And it must have gone under the deck as a caterpillar and hatched and gone to the light. So I lifted this glass up and it just flew up into the sky. Why? Because that's its nature, because it has a new nature. You know, if I took a a caterpillar and said, I'm going to give you flying lessons, you know, see if you can fly. (laughs) It's not going to work very well, is it? Because it's got the old nature. Whereas God gives us a new nature that even though we may have still have struggles with sin, there's part of us that wants to obey God, that wants to love, that wants to follow him. And that's a promise in the new covenant. I will be my God and they will be my people. And here is, um, this is, this is not dependent on, on our feelings, but it is, um, this, uh, this promise that's going to last forever. This is symbolized by God being going between the animals and God saying, this is my promise forever. No need for priests between us and God 
God still gives teachers to his people. But as I said last time, they're to be listened to with discernment. You have the spirit if you're one of God's people. And you don't shouldn't just take what I say um, like I'm some sort of prophet. You should judge it yourself by the word of God and by the spirit. Is this God speaking? Because all of us can hear God in the new covenant. And then the last part, our sins are forgiven. And there are so many Christians today who live lives full of guilt and self-condemnation, of anxiety over their failings, of feeling inadequate, failing God all the time. And um, this, this kind of feeling is what we're going to focus on today, on part D there. So just, just to end my summary of the, the new covenant and the old covenants, if you're a member of the new covenant, you have a new heart like a butterfly that wants to soar. You're God's beloved and he's your beloved. You are secure in this relationship. You relate to God directly, not through priests. And you're totally forgiven and God is never judging you or condemning you. So that is my quick recap. Now, in the Old Testament, there are some hints that God's going to do a new covenant. Jeremiah is the clearest one, which I I quoted from just then in that panel. That's by far the clearest. But there are one or two other hints. But the other place where there's a very clear um, statement about it is the passage we're going to look at today. And I'm very excited by it because it gives a different aspect than the kind of formula laid out version in Jeremiah. This is much more like a heart revelation of what God's going to do in the new covenant. And this is the one he entrusted to Elijah. So we're now going to look at the story of the prophet who wanted to end his life. Here we go, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. And so what's happened is we've just had the, the, the point where he's called fire down from heaven onto the sacrifice on Mount Carmel. Amazing uh, the defeat of the false prophets. And Jezebel, who's, the, ru- who's the, the, the wife of Ahab at that time, she's the queen, she says, I'm going to kill you. We're going to kill you, Elijah. And he is scared. This terrific anticlimax. And he, he says in verse 3, he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, so it's on the edge of Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. What a sad state to be in. What what a a, a horrible um, weight on his heart. And it does look like he's intending that this is it because he hasn't taken food supplies with him and he's gone off into the wilderness. And this is this, it hasn't taken water, he's gone off. This is, this is a self-destructive attitude. And then we have, this is a very poetic passage, by the way. Um, just the way it's written, it's beautifully written. And we have two little, two little, um, re- re- repeated sections here. It happened twice. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree. 
And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank. And he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And he arose and ate and drank. So actually, interesting, this, this statement here, a cake baked on hot stones, that word cake there um, is only occurs a handful of times in the Bible, in exactly in the Hebrew, in that word. And one of the other times is what it's describing what the Israelites did with the manna. In the wilderness, food supernaturally provided by God, and there's a cake of it. Wow, this is interesting. Maybe you're going to see some patterns here. He's fleeing for his life, just like the Israelites were doing. In the wilderness, supernaturally provided food by God. It's actually interesting also, the word here, um, the angel says, the journey is too much for you. That's exactly the same expression as Elijah uses when he says it's all too much, I want to die. And now he says, look, if this is too much for you by yourself, I'm going to give you what you need. So just some little things in there that are building up to the climax. So we have God meets him, gives him some provision, and then the story unfolds in an extraordinary way. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Does anyone know where Horeb is, the other name for Horeb? You know, tell us. Sinai, it's Mount Sinai. It's the other name for Mount Sinai. They're used interchangeably in the Bible. Uh, it's about 400 kilometers journey, so it's about 10 kilometers a day. But the last part of it was far harder, far more rocky. Um, so he came to Horeb, to Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forgotten your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And then we have, I've marked this as a central section because this story is symmetrical around a middle piece as many of the, the, the narratives are in the Old Testament. They're written in this very beautiful poetic way. And right in the middle we have this symmetrical section. So, and it's introduced by Elijah saying this, I've been very jealous and so on. And exactly the same phrase is used here in verse 14, uh, I've been very jealous Exactly the same thing is used. So the bracketed by that, we have the central part of the story. And this is, this is, this is the most amazing part. So he's in a cave on Mount Sinai. And he says, go out. God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Interestingly, this is exactly the same phrasing as was told to Moses. Um, um, Moses said, God, in, in Exodus 19.20, the Lord summoned Moses to go out onto the mount. So the same thing. So 
Can you imagine what's going on in Elijah's mind right now? He's, he, he's, he can't have missed the fact that what's happening to him now is like a perfect reenactment of what was happening with Moses and the Israelites. Running for their life, you know, going through the wilderness, supernaturally fed, 40 days and 40 nights, on Mount Sinai, and now summoned out onto the mount just like Moses was. What was the next thing that happened with Moses? Thunder and lightning. We're going to look at the verses in a minute. Thunder and lightning. Terrifying noise. Noise so terrifying the people couldn't stand it. Terrifying. Um, and so what happened now? This is the most extraordinary revelation. So Elijah's probably thinking, ah, oh, what's coming now? Now's the law. Now's when God destroys me. Cause like I've, I, you know, I'm a failure. Now's the point that I, I meet the, you know, I meet the old covenant and I've failed and I'm dealt with. This is probably what he's feeling. Behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle whisper. Some translations say a still small voice. This is actually a better translation, and more precise to say gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped, out his, wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So um, I'm going to suggest to you that actually this is the heart of the story. Some other things going after this, but this is really the core of what this is about. And and uh, the, the way the story is structured in this beautiful symmetry, in Hebrew, the most important part is in the middle. That's where the center is, and that's where the key part of the story is. And there are some things that happen after this. God says some things, but actually the key thing has already happened. God has replaced his old way of speaking with a new way of speaking. Do you get that? God has rerun... Sinai, but substituted the harsh covenant demands with the thunder. He substituted that with a new way of speaking, the gentle voice. He's replaced, he's rerun Sinai, he's rerun the old covenant and put a new voice in there, which is absolutely phenomenal. It's absolutely dramatic. And so I wanted to, like, if we stopped here, we would have, we would have got the message. I'm going to, we'll carry on. We'll see what happens. Um, basically, God says, here, I've got some commissions for you. Uh, go return the way to the wilderness, Damascus. When you arrive, uh, do some things, anoint Hazael as king, uh, anoint Jehu, and anoint Elisha in your place. And this is going to be very interesting. We're going to look at this in a minute. And he makes a comment. He ended up by saying, the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. The one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Now, this is actually interesting because Elisha never killed anybody. In fact, there's a really interesting twist in this story, which we're going to see in a minute when I come on to Elisha. And he says, look, you actually haven't failed because like, I've got 7,000 people who, ha- who have not given up. You're not alone. You actually 
there is a whole contingent in Israel who are holding out for me. So that's my summary of the story here. And this is what I've given you now is the key to the story. Now we're going to look, we're going to unpack the meaning here. So we've looked at um, the old covenants. We've looked at the prophet who wanted to end his life. God's extraordinary response, which is the new covenant. Let's look at this. So I want to compare what happened the previous time. This is Exodus 19. This is Moses. This is Moses going on Mount Sinai. On the third day in the morning, there was thunder and lightning, a dense cloud on the mountain, a sound of a very loud horn. All the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their place at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely covered in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Smoke went up like the smoke of a great furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. That's the earthquake part. When the sound of the horn grew louder and louder, Moses was speaking, and God was answering with a voice. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And then we have the uh, next chapter. All the people were seeing the thundering and lightning, uh, heard the sound of the horn and saw the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled with fear and kept their distance. They said to Moses, uh, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak with us lest we die. And uh, just skipping ahead to Exodus 24, Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord resided on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from within the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in plain view of the people. Moses went into the cloud when he went up the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. You have that. That's the time period. Of course, this is on the mountain. It took Elijah all that time to get to the mountain, but it's the same. It's the same marker there. And then it says the Lord spoke to Moses and he spoke the law. So I, I think that you and I can agree that it's very clear that this is a replacement of what happened with Moses. Very clear that God is saying this is, this is designed. What I'm showing you now, I'm, everything is the same up to this point and this is completely different. This is what I'm doing now. Um, and, uh, the, uh, let's look at these parallels. He has to escape into the wilderness, as the Israelites had to. The supernatural provision of food, 40 days of fasting, led by God to Mount Sinai, told by God to climb the mountain, earthquake and fire, and then hears the voice of God. So those are the parallels. So I'm going to say, and this is, this is the, the key thing, the key foundation for today's message, is that God is rerunning Sinai. He's replacing Sinai. God is replacing the fire, earthquake, and terrifying noise with a gentle whisper. And this is prophetic that God is going to replace the Sinai covenant with a new way of speaking to humanity. The gentle voice of Jesus. 
you know, there are discussion like, what is this voice? Does it represent the Holy Spirit? Does it represent conscience? Well, well I, I would say it actually represents Jesus speaking through the Spirit. And um, we can, like some other time, I can talk about the way that Jesus and the Spirit work together. But we hear Jesus through the Spirit. And this is his gentle voice. And the other prophecies about him, uh, talking about this coming one is going to be gentle. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Um, There's another prophecy of Jesus, and this is just so beautiful. It says, he will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. In other words, this is a damaged reed. He's going to look after it to make sure it doesn't break. A faintly burning wick he will not snuff out. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Here is this promise of, of, of Jesus coming, the gentle revelation of God. So if we can come back to the question I asked at the beginning, how did God respond to Elijah's self-destructive mental illness? I value so much, I'm going to take you beyond Moses. He didn't just say, I value you. He said, I'm actually going to give you this, which is the highest prophecy I've yet given to humanity. I'm going to give you this. And I'm going to do it, this extremely gently, because I know that's all you can take right now. I must confess, I'm just so moved by this message because, you know, when I'm feeling bad, when I'm feeling down, this is the voice I want to hear. This is the God I want to hear who knows what I'm going through, who knows my hardship and values me so much and doesn't just say, oh, you know, you're okay, Andrew. I love you anyway, but actually gives me a destiny and gives me value and chooses to still use me even in my brokenness. Now, um, it's actually quite remarkable how Elijah is paralleled with John the Baptist. Many similar miracles to John the Baptist, but on a much smaller scale. Um, so we have, um, sorry, let me, I'm jumping ahead here. Uh, Elisha and Jesus, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to do this first. Elisha and Jesus. Many similar miracles, but on a much smaller scale. Uh, Elisha had did a miracle where he he broke bread and fed a hundred people. Isn't that cool? You know, not five thousand. He did a hundred, but it was the same. You know, they said oh, you can't possibly feed those people with that much bread, and he broke it and it fed them all. And it was a prophetic of Jesus. He healed a leper. Naaman. Jesus healed huge numbers, but he healed a leper. Um, uh, remember, Jesus woke on, walked walked on water. Do you remember Elisha's miracle? Kind of floating supernaturally. Uh, he made an axe head float. Uh, it sunk in the water and he made it float. He healed the blind, of course. Uh, we'll come to that in a moment. Uh, love your enemies. Now, let me tell you this story. Um, what happened was um, the Syrians were raiding the northern part of Israel all the time. And when they re- went to attack a city, they discovered the city was already prepared and they couldn't attack it. And they, 
they asked, the king said, well, what's happening here? How come they seem to know what we're doing? Do they have spies? And his people said, well, the problem is they've got this prophet called uh, Elisha. And whenever we're going to attack them, he knows because God tells him and he alerts the king. And they, they're ready. Oh, he said, well, you know, we've got to kill Elisha then. Where do we find him? So they said, he lives in Dothan. Okay, let's send an army division to Dothan to kill him. So they sent an army division to to Dothan, and they uh, surrounded the city, and Elisha um, said, God, please, would you blind them all? And God blinded them all, and then he went out to them and said, "Um, I'm going to show you where you should go. And for some reason, they left their horses and chariots and so on, and they all followed him, and he took them into into the capital city, in the middle of the capital city. And then he said, God, please open their eyes. And they open their eyes. And there they are, surrounded by the entire army of Israel, defenseless. And the king of Israel said, Elisha, what do we do now? Do we kill them all? And he said, no, make them a feast. <laughs> so they made them a big feast. Their enemies, they made the enemy soldiers who were, came to attack them a big feast. So they fed them. And it says, the Syrians never attacked Israel again. Pretty cool, eh? This is this is Elisha. Remember, I said the, the verse where it said, you know, the um, those that will die by the sword of Elisha. Well, this is like the, what it was kind of an ironic prophecy because nobody died by Elisha's sword. In fact, it was the opposite. Um, and so, Elisha is the is the picture of Jesus. He is the one who said, "Love your enemies." He is the the the, the, the Jesus picture, and uh, so. Um, this is so. Uh, there's also Elijah and John the Baptist parallel, and so just as uh, Elijah anointed Elisha, so John the Baptist anointed Jesus. You get this like pair: one's the forerunner, and one's the revelation of God's love. Um, both of them uh, prepared the way for the other one, calling for repentance. Uh, both of them had a tough. Elijah and John the Baptist had a tough ministry, and interestingly. Both of them had a moment of darkness with a gentle response from God. So can anybody remember John the Baptist's equivalent to this kind of dark moment that Elisha had? Anybody remember when it was? It was in the prison. Yes, exactly, it was in the prison. Um, Matthew 11, John sent his disciples to ask a question. Are you the one? Who is to come, or should we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go tell John what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And then he does something very similar to what he did with with Elijah. He gives him extreme value. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, no one has risen greater than John the Baptist. If you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. In other words, he's the like prophetic coming again of Elijah. Isn't this amazing? He like he lifts him up in this way. He was in this darkness in the prison, and Jesus just gently lifts him up and says, Look, you don't have to worry about your value. So uh, let's look then at uh, where we're up to today. We looked, we looked at the covenants. We looked at the story in, in 1 Kings 17. We've looked at how God responded. And I want to end 
by seeing how we can hear this quiet whisper ourselves. And I want to say to you that the new covenant is about hearing the gentle voice of Jesus. Uh, last time I talked about these four aspects about, you know, you're mine, I'm yours. Um, I could put your new heart in you. You don't need priests and so on to interface with you. I've forgiven your sins. And those are key aspects, the four things. But those come through hearing the gentle voice of Jesus. That's how those things come to us. And I want to give you some points here. Uh, I want to suggest to you that all of us feel sometimes like Elijah. I want to suggest that all of us do. Um, even the loud narcissist who thinks he's more important than anyone else. You know, sometimes these people are attracted to politics. You know, they can just be so full of themselves. I want to suggest to you that even people like that, deep inside there's a terrified child. And actually all of that bluster is so they actually don't have to even hear their terror and their fear that they are worth nothing. And I want to suggest to you that you almost certainly have, unless you're perfect already, have an inner voice telling you that you're worthless. And I want to suggest it's one of the fundamental roots of mental illness and addiction. Or even not just addiction, but just bad behavior, like just like um, uh, overeating or just doing stuff we shouldn't be doing, binge watching, that sort of thing. Um, this voice that we want to just blot out because it's there and it's a voice that is common to humanity. Now, sometimes we have done some wrong things. And there's this beautiful hymn that, that says, When Satan tempts, tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. And this is Satan who's behind this voice. This is Satan who's behind this self-condemnation that I'm worthless. And what he loved to do most of all is to tell us our guilt and say, you know, you've broken, you've done this wrong, you're awful, you're dirty. You're, you're, you're just a mess. And we can look and see Jesus and see that. But, um, but I would want to say that more than that, it's the gentle voice of Jesus speaking to us that it's critical that we listen to his voice and not the thunder. I want to suggest to you this morning, the main takeaway that I have for you this morning is that you don't listen to the thunder. You identify that that thunder and that earthquake and that fire is not God. That is not from God. When you sin, remember how Jesus was. Remember what his voice was like when we read of him. Peter horrifically sinned, denying him at the cross. And Jesus very, very gently restored him and at the end gave him value and said, feed my sheep and gave him the responsibility of being an apostle. Gently, we see how he gent- the, the parable of the prodigal son, this man comes back expected to be treated so badly, and the father receives him, gives him a new robe, a new ring, and makes a feast for him. The woman taking adultery, Jesus gently says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is the gentle voice of Jesus. We must learn to hear this um, and to recognize that Jesus has a destiny for you at his right hand. That Jesus has a destiny. That you are so important to him that he's building a future for you. 
So I'm going to, this is my last slide now, and we're going to pray through this together. But uh, I want to, to say, look at these words again from Elisha. It's enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. I just want to look at this gentle voice of God. It was a soft, gentle voice with a gift of extreme value, a prophetic revelation that replaced the law of Moses with Jesus. And I want you to let him whisper your value to him right now. So let's just pray together. And I'm just going to ask that you are given the discernment to hear the voice of Jesus in the new covenant and not listen to the old covenant, the covenant of Moses, the covenant about performance, the covenant about if you don't do this, you're in trouble. But instead to listen to this soft and gentle voice that values you so much. Oh, dear Father, we thank you for the way that you met Elisha in this beautiful story that just that just overwhelms us with, with your graciousness to him. Lord, and we come to you now, Lord, we pray that we will have the same experience as him daily. But we pray that daily we will hear the gentle voice of Jesus speaking uh, affirmation into us, speaking love into us, telling us of our value and our preciousness to you. That you sent your own son to die for us. How much more will you not give us every good thing? Lord, we thank you. Lord, please, may we have this voice, this discernment to hear this voice speaking to our hearts. And Lord, lift us up in joy as we hear this. We ask it in the name of Jesus, who loved us. Amen.